Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of She Talks. If you haven't already heard, in this podcast series, we'll be discussing a notable woman in history with a group of Beasley team members from across the business and the globe. Today's She Talks Spotlight is on a fearless and financially savvy woman known as the first woman of Wall Street, Muriel Mickey Siebert. Now, my name is Gabby Martineau, and I'm one of the events managers here at Beasley. I'm based out of Chicago, and I've been the network communications lead and deputy chair of Beasley She for over two years. So what is Beasley She? Well, Beasley She supports successful, high potential, and empowered women in insurance. This means supporting women internally and externally within the industry and providing opportunities for personal and professional development. The network's open to everyone, regardless of gender, across the business. Now, Beasley She hosts events like panel discussions, book clubs, Beasley She cafes, educational sessions, and podcasts, just like this one. Today, I'm joined by three amazing Beasley team members. Bethany, would you like to introduce yourself first? Tell us a bit about your role here at Beasley, and did you know anything about Mickey Siebert before this podcast? Thank you so much for having me and good morning to everyone. Um, so I'm Bethany Greenwood. I am based in Boston. I'm here today, which is a, a rarity after uh, quite a bit of traveling for the past couple of weeks. Um, I am the head of specialty risks, so running uh, a lot of our liability business. And um, I'm actually coming up on my one year anniversary in that role, which is April Fool's Day, which has nothing to do with the role, um, but um, I will say, so I was reading it about Mickey and I did not know um, about her. And I was disappointed kind of in myself for not knowing because when I was in college and even prior to when I was in um, high school, I always had this vision. I wanted to work on Wall Street and I wanted to be a stockbroker. And I just always had, I watched all like the movies about it and everything. And so I was disappointed in myself for not knowing about her because um, at that time, that was a goal of mine. And so it was quite um, interesting and inspiring to read about her. So thanks again for having me, Gabby. Wonderful. Oh, thank you so much, Bethany. Uh, Karina, how about you? Hi, everyone. I am really excited to be part of this podcast as well. Thanks for inviting me to, to speak on it. Um, I've been at Beasley about six years. I'm now part of the corporate development team, which sits within the strategy function. So we look after organic growth, strategic partnerships and minority investments. Um, I also co-chair our race and ethnicity network. Um, and I did not know anything about Mickey Siebert prior to, um, prior to agreeing to be on this podcast. So it's been very interesting to educate myself. Uh, on this incredible woman um, and legend. So thank you. Fantastic. Fantastic. And finally, soon me. Good morning, everyone. It's I'm really excited and happy to be here. So my name is Sunmi Hirata. I'm one of the cyber underwriters here for Beasley. So I sit in Dallas, Texas. And as a cyber underwriter, I work with our broker partners on selling cyber insurance to their clients. Basically, cyber insurance helping clients at may potentially get hacked or have a breach. So helping them through a very challenging, difficult situation that many of you probably have read about in the news at some point. So I am also the co-chair for Beasley Proud, which is our LGBTQ plus employee uh, network. And so similar to race and Beasley She, we do different events for our employees. We support the LGBT community internally and externally, and it's open to all our wonderful and amazing allies. 
So thanks again for having me here, Gabby. I didn't know anything about Mickey Siebert. And it was such a like, how do I not know this amazing woman? Because I went to school for business and I feel like at some point I should have learned about her. I also did some women in business courses, but I did not know anything about her. So thank you so much for having me. Yes. Oh, this is going to be great. I, I'm just so excited to start this discussion. Uh, there's so many great viewpoints to explore here. So before we open up the floor with some discussion questions, I am going to give just a brief history of Muriel Siebert for those that don't already know, which is a lot of us. I know I'm included in that. So um, first things first, Muriel Mickey Siebert was a fearless Wall Street broker that was known as the first woman of finance. She was also the first woman to become a member of the New York Stock Exchange and the first woman to become the superintendent of banking for New York State. So while briefly attending Western Reserve University in 1949, she took business classes and was often the only girl in her class. On her first trip away from home, she visited the New York Stock Exchange and was determined to work there one day. During that time, the 1950s, the only women working on Wall Street were secretaries and support staff. But Siebert obviously wanted to do more. She changed jobs three times because she was being paid less than the men that were doing the same work as her. By the mid-1960s, Siebert was tired of making less money than men. Her friend Gerald Sy was a famous investor, and she asked him how to find a job that would pay her as much as a man. So he advised her to buy a seat on the New York Stock Exchange. First, she needed someone to sponsor her application, but the first nine men she asked told her they would not do it. Finally, the 10th person she asked agreed to sponsor her, and the next step was for her to raise enough money to afford the cost of a seat. So after two years of hard work, Chase Manhattan Bank loaned her the money. On December 28, 1967, Siebert became the first woman to buy a seat and become a member of the New York Stock Exchange with a price tag of $445,000, which is a lot of money today and even more in the 60s. In 1969, Siebert started Muriel Siebert & Company. For 10 years, she was the only woman out of 1,365 men on the stock exchange. Just wanted to, to double back on that. For her hard work, uh, she was noticed by Governor Hugh L. Carey, and he selected her to become the New York's first female superintendent of banking in 1977. It is worth noting that while she was in that position, none of the banks in New York had to shut down. She did have a brief stint in politics in 1982, and even though that did not pan out, she continued to make a difference on Wall Street. She successfully campaigned to get a ladies' bathroom on the seventh floor of the New York Stock Exchange because there was no bathroom for women during most of her time there. She threatened that she would put a portable toilet in the building if there was no bathroom for women. Siebert also enjoyed helping the community. She started the Siebert Entrepreneurial Philanthropic Plan in 1990 to help buyers give money to charities. She was recognized for her work and was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame in 1994. Siebert was never married and never had any kids, but she was known for having her pet chihuahua named Monster Girl with her at all times. After her death from cancer in 2013, the New York Stock Exchange named a room after her. Siebert Hall was the first time a room at the Stock Exchange had been named after a person. Now that is a legacy to leave. Wow.
All right. Now that we have some background, let's roll into the discussion portion of our podcast. Our lovely ladies here, are there any topics, first thing, that resonate or inspire you from Mickey's story? Anything that pops out? But, I mean, for me, just everything. The fact that she was, um, you know, a young woman in Ohio and had this vision of being in, you know, finance in Manhattan. It's not even like she was from Long Island or something where she could actually visualize it. And right. to me, it's the the nothing stopping her. And, you know, each, you know, the eighth person, the ninth person that said no, and continuing, and I was doing the math. So when she got that seat, she was 39. And so back then, I think 39 seemed a lot older. To me, 39 is quite young now. But back then, I'm sure, you know, she just didn't quit. She had, you know, resolution of what she wanted. And then even when she got that seat, she continued to push the envelope with the, the ladies' room or or what have you. And so I just, uh, the other thing I read about her is she was a scrapper. So I just love that, like <laughs> using all your tools that you have and having a vision, even if you don't have that role model. It was quite inspiring for me. Fantastic. Anything um, else? Oh, yes, I'll jump in. So um, I think that self-belief aspect really resonated with me. Um, having to raise $445,000 and invest that in yourself, backing yourself, taking on a huge bank loan to do it. I mean, the next time we feel nervous to put ourselves forward for a promotion, like, I mean, what is really on the line there? Uh, <laughs> in comparison yeah. to what she states, um, it's incredible. So um, I think shifting our mentality to be uh, r- really kind of, you know, backing the products that you are um, is is a huge lesson that that she can t- she can teach us. And um, that sales mentality that Bethany referenced, that kind of okay, if the first nine said no, I'm going to keep going, um, is such an important lesson for us to remember. Because if I think about um, the types of stories that I grew up hearing within my family about the barriers that face people of colour in Britain, for example, stories my father-in-law's even told me now about how many people refuse to recognise his qualifications, how many landlords refused to rent to him in the late 70s, early 80s. Even though things have changed now, I think it's really important for us to um, have a have an eye on that resilience that we've got within ourselves and to remember that, um, you know, the first three might say no, but keep going. Um, it, it pays to be pushy, it pays to be resilient um, and to learn when people are saying, no, what are the reasons? How do I make myself stronger? How do I make sure that I am the candidate that gets through the next time? Um, so I think it's re- it's really inspiring um, to kind of look at those stats and know that so many before us, women like Mickey, faced those and overcame that. And, and it is that sales mentality and knowing that at some point somebody will say yes. Very good. Very good. It's a lesson in rejection, I think. You know, I mean, nine people saying no and she still persisted. So I, I feel like that is a big lesson, big takeaway. So me, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, all of those things, like her story is so incredibly powerful. And I think what resonates is the ripple effect that happened from that, right? You know, she was pushing the envelope to get a bathroom. Like, getting a bathroom isn't, like, it shouldn't be such a big thing. But I remember uh, watching the movie Hidden Figures. I'm sure the book was also really, really good, and I need to read it at some point. But there was that scene where she was like, I'm late because I needed to go to the bathroom. And he's like bathrooms right down the hall and she's like it's in a different building for me and it's it's things like that where you might not notice where something is inhibiting or 
in, inadvertently discriminating against people. And so really pushing for something that is is right is so important because it won't it doesn't just affect you, it affects so many other people. And, you know, her resilience and, you know, pushing that, you know, after she had a seat on the stock ex- exchange, you know, that's when she's like, all right, here's all the other things like I'm going to start pushing. It's not like she just stopped there and said, all right, I'm going to do an amazing job at what I do. And that's it. She was like, no, like I see problems around me and I'm going to fix it. You know, I think that's so important. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. And speaking of the ripple effect, I think that's a good segue to my question is, you know, how have women like Mickey shaped the way females approach the workplace nowadays? You know, back in the 60s to now, how has has, have folks like Mickey shaped that um, approach? Um, For me, I think culturally now there's a much more dominant thought, which is women are equally deserving of being in the room. And back then, when Mickey was doing what she was doing, it was not the dominant thought. Women like her have changed that. Um, They've changed mindsets, not just amongst other women, but in the whole of society. Um, And I think it's incredibly powerful, um, that, that thought, because it is ultimately the thoughts that we carry that drive our actions. Um, And it all goes back to that mindset. I totally agree with Karina. And I was also thinking it's like, she not only had to be resilient, I mean, she had to be really good at her job. Like Karina said, she was backing herself with a half a uh, million dollars. So it's almost like she had to be really good at her job and resolute, resilient, kind of going against the grain, really, uh, you know, the whole scrapper mentality where I feel like because of women like Mickey and many others that, and then the change of mindset that was mentioned, that we can be really good at our jobs and kind of really go forward, but we don't, we have to still have some of that resilience. But I mean, to me, it's almost like that resilience had to be her kind of core competency and then her financial acumen and everything she did that was super successful was kind of secondary. So because of all of that work that people like her have done, we can focus a little bit more on our actual core competency and our skill set. And then you know, I have no idea about her personal life or anything, but I do feel like people like her who kind of put it all out there and it sounds like this was her kind of end all be all for her life, that because of people like that, other women in you know our current state have more balance and are able to be able to kind of do different things while still um, excelling at their careers and having that core competency because of kind of the commitment and the work people like Mickey did. All right. I have another question here. This is kind of the same, similar question, right? But I do think that uh, we should wrap it up with insurance professionals as well. You know, as females, we're co-workers, we are insurance professionals. You know, are there any takeaways? What should we take away from Mickey's story to implement in our own lives and our own careers going forward? So I'll, I'll go. I mean, I just feel like for me, it's it's um, the resilience and the confidence that you have to have in yourself. Um and you have, we have mentors, we have sponsors, we have a lot of people along the way, but you really have to have that confidence. And then it's also helping others, helping other um, women or people coming up in the career around you. I think when you look at some of the legacy that you talked about, where she has um, donated money to helping other women in the financial field and all sorts of things. So I think it's it's never kind of resting on your laurels and kind of going forward and bringing others uh, along the way in insurance, in um, you know, in women, but in overall kind of um, as we as we move forward in our careers. I think it's hugely important. 
it must have been so uncomfortable for Mickey at various at, at so many points in in the career that she had. And if we think about that as an experience, I think there are times where we can all think, gosh, I was out of my comfort zone in this situation. I was uncomfortable. I was the only one in the room, the only ethnic minority in the room, the only woman in the room. Um, and just to remember that there are there are people who have been through that before you. You're not alone. Um, and actually, when you are uncomfortable, it wakes up the part of your brain that stimulates learning. Um, so to try and spin it in your own mind to see it as a positive um, and to to not be afraid to put yourself in those situations. Um, Mickey is, did it to the extreme, right? Like she was the only one out of over a thousand. Um, and, and we're very lucky to very rarely be in that position now as women, thanks to her and, and many others who came before us. But if we are, um, I think there's a message there for us that we should get comfortable with being in those uncomfortable situations. There's a benefit to it. That's incredible advice. When you sit in that uncomfortability, um, it facilitates learning. That's incredible. I'm, I'm going to put that on a bumper sticker. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that's great. I will take that away. Absolutely. All right. I, I do think that this is appropriate, especially for just just the, the life and times right now. How do you think financial literacy impacts women versus men? This is a big question. I really want to hear from everybody on this one. So financial literacy is incredibly important, especially for women. I think historically there wasn't support and intentional thought given that, oh, women should understand their finances. That was historically, at least in America, and I think in many other places, not the foundation. And so it takes a lot to shift the boat of society. And now it's becoming way more, I think, common that women are taking, you know, ownership of their own finances and, and seeking out advice. And there's so many more resources. Um, and not to say that men don't have the same things also catering to them, but when the world is built around you and is set up to support you, it's if you're not that minority or you're not that majority, you need more to get yourself at that level. And so you know, breaking things down, making sure it's because you can't treat two people exactly the same. Sometimes you need to break things down in a different way. I think about the close women in my life that, you know, didn't go to business school. They they entered, um, you know, like the arts or they entered, you know, the sciences. Business is a completely different science. I don't know any sciences. I respect all the science <laughs> doctors and nurses and people out there because that is over my head and it's funny because all the business stuff is over their head and so we just have to support each other um, as best as we can. Very well said. Um, I, so I was raised by a single mother and um, I have a sister so it's, uh, it was basically us three girls and I actually think back and my sister and I had a conversation about it recently and my mother drilled in our heads financial independence. She basically it was all about choice and independence and you need to have your own financial independence to be able to make your choices about whatever happens in your your future and so at a very young age we had this drilled into us to the point where we've both been married for a long time and our husbands are like I know I got it you you guys you want to be able to understand what's going on at all times and and really key to it and I ended up going into business and finance too but my sister's a a nurse and so she has a totally different kind of to your point medical science brain than me but we both had this instilled in us and i 
I think about it as such a gift that that she gave us and and not everybody gets that because of the you know gender roles and things when you're when you're growing up but I think because she had a hard time when she divorced my father at a young age with two young girls so I think of that as a gift that you know I I like to be able to share with others to say this is really it helps me be confident and independent no matter what's going on throughout my whole life so uh, I think of it as a gift um, I can't thank you enough for this question because it's given me an opportunity to promote the upcoming series <laughs> that uh-huh. Beasley Race and Beasley Shea are hosting together. Fantastic. Um, thank you. Um, yes. On the 12th of April, we have our kickoff. Um, it's a series on financial literacy aimed at women and people of colour. Um, and the keynote speaker um, who's joining us is from the um, very popular podcast Girls That Invest. Her name is Simran Kaur. She's going to be talking about the barriers that face women and people of colour in their journey to financial education. Um, The one point that I would make personally is um, the most material impact I've seen um, in how this manifests into women's finances is, is the pension gap. Talk a lot about the salary gap. We don't talk enough about the pension gap. Compound interest cuts both ways. If you're not investing early, you're not putting money away into your pension early. Over a long term, the gap in wealth driven by compound interest grows and grows. And so, if you're um, if you're coming back to the workforce, um, or um, you're thinking about what you can do right now, um, be aware of the impact um, of of your pension contribution and what that's going to do over a 20-year period. Um, and we look forward to discussing this topic further um, over the course of the coming months. Yes, this is a very hot topic right now. I think this is just kicking off the discussion. I'm so excited for that, uh, the upcoming event. Uh, definitely check that out. You'll see uh, some things about that on the box coming up too. So, um, all right, final question here, just to kind of wrap things up. I would love to know from each of you, would you work at the New York Stock Exchange in the 1960s? In reality, would you, would you go and work at the New York Stock Exchange? So I thought about this and I like to think I would. I really do. I like to think that I would throw myself in there. But then I thought about like even in you know, I've been in kind of a male dominated industry and I've been in, in this field for over 25 years. So it has changed a lot in 25 years. But I think about I oh I always had role models to look at. I've always had people who I could see in those roles and I could kind of um, say I can do it because they did it. And the fact that she had no one to look at, I don't know if I'm giving myself too much credit to say I would do it because she had no one to even think that if they did it, I can do it. And I had a lot of people in my role, so I'd like to think I I would, but um, but it would be a a big leap. And I think she did something that not a lot of people could do. All right, Karina Sumi, would you do it? <laughs> I I would also have to be a no, like Bethany. Um, <laughs> I I admire our underwriters very much. They are risk taking people, and um, I don't know that I would have the appetite for that type of a, a job in the New York Stock Exchange, <laughs> the one that she did. Let alone to be in the environment that she was in while doing it. Yeah, well, I similar to Bethany, wish I think you know I, I wish I could say yes. I it's probably a no, you know. 1960s New York and America there's other things that were also happening and so as an LGBTQ plus person I don't think I would have been able to openly work and be proud of who I am and so that is also another factor for me to consider and so when I think about that and being a woman and then also being a person of color my dad's Japanese my mom's German 
in America, there's an interesting sentiment around those nationalities as well. So I don't think I would have even been welcomed into the room, much less so then the uphill battle is even more, more of a challenge. So I think Absolutely. she was amazing to to keep fighting the good fight, I think, because to, to Bethany's point and to Karina's point, like she helped pave the way, you know, having that that lighthouse to look off in the distance and figure out, okay, how do I get there? Like those role models are so incredibly important. And so, you know, that helps, you know, me and other people, even if we're not like 100%, like no one's going to have 100% your story, but you can still inspire so many people. Absolutely. I mean, without women like Muriel, we wouldn't be here today talking about this. So I really think she deserves some credit. And uh, I'm so glad she got inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. So if you ever need to learn anything more about her, the uh, National Women's Hall of Fame website actually has a really nice bio on her. So you can read up a little more. Um, All right. So I, I want to just say a huge thank you to our stellar discussion group today, Bethany, Karina, Sunmi. Thank you so much for your insights and opinions, both professionally and personally. And one more final big thank you to our Beasley She leadership team, Elizabeth Wheeler in the U.S., Sidoni Williams and Charlotte Allen in the U.K., as well as our executive sponsor, Luann Layton, for all your support and participation in the efforts of Beasley She. I hope everyone has a wonderful day and thank you so much for listening to our She Talks podcast. Until next time, bye-bye.